Let's look to our Lord now in prayer. And our fathers, we're coming into your presence. We're coming into your presence from a wide range of locales. But Father, while we're separated this morning geographically, we're united with one another spiritually. Coming into your presence. And no matter where we find ourselves and what situation, geographically, even medically, you are God. And it's our opportunity now to be still and know that you are good. You're being exalted among the nations. So, Father, as we open up your word, we are opening up our hearts to you this morning. We're praying now in these moments to come that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wheels. We've come here, Father, unitedly now to see Jesus, him only. I would pray these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to ponder this fact that times of isolation should be viewed as times of preparation. Times of isolation or separation should be, can be viewed as times of preparation. This morning you might find yourself isolated, separated from those that you would long to be with. But ask yourself in the midst of the isolation, in the midst of the separation, what's God doing? Is this an opportunity for preparation? It was 1832 and there was a French engineer and his name is Ferdinand Lesseps. And he was traveling the Mediterranean. One of the passengers on the vessel became sick. The entire ship was quarantined. Sound familiar? Lesseps was an active man. You could very well view yourself as an active person. And so the confinement was affecting him and his ability to be able to do what he wanted to do was frustrating him. But here's what he did. He didn't waste his time. He chose to invest his time. And this morning, if you find yourself in a place of what I might call isolation, separation, don't view this as wasted time. View this as invested time. I'm back to Lesseps. For a long time on that vessel, isolated, he allowed himself to read the memoirs of a man named Charles LaPere, who had studied the feasibility of building a canal from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. Now, that volume prompted Lesseps to devise in his own mind a strategy as to how to construct the Suez Canal. Thirty years later, under his leadership, the Suez Canal was constructed. The quarantine was not wasted time. 
The quarantine was invested time and proved to be immensely profitable. What I want to do with you this morning now is to look at our own settings. It might be, in your estimation, a time of separation. It might be a time, you see, of isolation. But rather than viewing it as wasted time, I want this morning for this text to become alive to you and view it as invested time, because what I see in these verses of 1 through 23 are three significant aspects of the way in which God goes about guiding people's lives. Let's check them out. Starting with verse 1 down to verse 8, as God chooses to work to advance his gospel among the people, I want you to notice here, not only globally, but for you personally, the interruption of of what I'll call routines that God produces or God provides. And I want to start with verse 1. And you might want to note this with me if you have the opportunity of exploring some of the pictures that are being made available to us. That right there in verse 1, you and I are told that at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Caesarea. Caesarea was an extraordinary setting in that time period. Caesarea. Herod the Great had decided to rename the place, formerly known as Stratos Tower. He would rename it Caesarea in honor of the emperor Caesar. This would be the residence of the Roman governor of Judea. And it had a regular Roman garrison positioned within it. Caesarea was a strategic setting. There's the Roman Colosseum that has the imprint to this very day of the fact that it was Roman occupation. Israelites today, they talk about occupied territories with varying points of view. Long before all of this, this was an occupied territory where the Romans were occupying, you see, Israel. And you can see, in fact, the Roman amphitheater there in Caesarea. Ponder even more the strategic place of Caesarea where there is a harbor there, a port there, where ships could go in, ships could go out. Strategic. It would be the place, in fact, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, under custody, would be shipped offwards to Italy to be tried because of his relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Caesarea, attached to the idea of the name, the title Caesar. Well, there at Caesarea, there was a man. This man, his name is Cornelius. Now, notice the description of Cornelius at this point. He is extraordinarily religious. But we want to be able to say once again that it's possible to be religious and yet not saved. There are not only secular unbelievers, there are also religious unbelievers. 
And somewhere on what I will call the full spectrum of discipleship, God is working within this man's life, within this man's heart, and he is inching him towards that threshold where he's going to put faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Have you done that this morning? Have you put your faith exclusively in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Don't settle for simply being a religiously oriented individual who has extraordinary interest in God. More than interest in God, you want to develop a relationship with God. And that's by putting faith and trust in Jesus. You're in verse 2. At this point, he hasn't crossed the threshold, has he? And yet he's described here as devout. A devout man. Second of all, you and I are told here that he feared God with all his household. He's obviously having a religious impact upon those who live with him. Notice his concern for social activity in the region. He gave alms. This is very typical of people within the Middle East. He gave alms generously to the people. Which means then that as a Roman leader, he was giving alms to the Jewish, Jewish citizenry. He was building up, in, ever, in other words, a sense of rapport within the social climate. And they respect him for that. And he prayed continually to God. He's religious, but he's not yet saved. But in verse 3, what you and I are now told at this point, that it's the ninth hour of the day. Well, the ninth hour, utilizing the Jewish hours of the day, that would put it at about 3 p.m. Because he is praying to God at this point, what that tells me then is that there has been tremendous Jewish influence upon him because that would be the time of prayer that would be taking place within Jerusalem. It's the ninth hour. He's being clearly influenced in his approach to God, but he has not crossed the threshold and yet into a relationship with God. But I notice, don't you? God breaks in. God takes the initiative. And just like in that prior chapter, where with the experience of Saul on the road to Damascus, God broke in and interrupted the routines and the activities and the plans of a religious man named Saul of Tarsus. Now in this very next chapter, God breaks in and interrupts the routines, the methods, the ways of this Roman centurion named Cornelius. Has God broken into your life? Notice that this man's very sincere, but not yet saved. This man is very fervent, but he's not yet saved. 
what is required now is that faith in Jesus Christ and he alone for salvation. It's the ninth hour. God chose that pivotal point in time because God has a way of strategically utilizing time to open one's eyes to what God wants to do. What's God doing right now with you personally? What's God doing right now in this world, globally? The times are in his hands. He's the owner of time. He has a strategy for time. And so it's the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly a vision. This vision, an angel of God came, and I notice the first word that is utilized by the angel. Cornelius. Now, if you had looked very carefully with me at the prior chapter, when God broke into Saul's experience on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice how personal God is when he breaks into your life. Oh, and then there was Ananias. Ananias, we were told in chapter 9 of Vishen, he's a disciple in Damascus, feeling threatened by the movements of Saul of Tarsus. The Lord says to him in a vision, Ananias, what takes place here is this. God breaks in to lives in very personal ways. Has he done that with you? God doesn't view you abstractly. Don't view God abstractly. This is personal. This is dynamic. Right now, you're one-on-one -on -one with God. What's going on in your heart? John Wesley had to grapple with that. He thought he, as a religious man, was being used by God. He likewise was on a ship, on a ship being heading to Georgia, when there were some Moravian immigrants who were aboard, and Wesley was so struck by their spiritual strength. When he returned to England, he struggled with his own sinfulness, his own need for salvation, even though he was an extraordinarily religious man and had tremendous education under his belt. He received counsel from a man by the name of Peter Bola. And on May 24th of 1738, the timing was perfect. During the meeting at Aldersgate, Wesley experienced God's saving grace and then would write in his memoirs, quote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins. God broke in. Love has a way of breaking in, doesn't it? He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? Now notice then, right away, he responds in the form of a question. 
God has got his attention. Has God gotten your attention? I wonder, has God now gotten the attention of people across the world? Where people are beginning to ask, what does this mean? Why am I experiencing what I am experiencing? At this point, we go back to that opening thought. Times of isolation or times of separation need to be viewed as times of preparation. What's God preparing you for? At this point then, he said to him, your prayers and your alms. In other words, all the efforts you've invested in have ascended as a memorial before God. Doesn't mean he's saved yet. But interestingly enough, he's got God's attention. And God's got his attention. There's about to be a connectedness happening here. Is there a connection with God through Christ within your life? Your prayers, your arms have ascended as a memorial before God, he says. And now send men to Joppa. Bring one Simon who is called Peter. Oh, you know who that is. It's the apostle Peter at this point. What God has done is produced an interruption. An interruption in the routines of this centurion named Cornelius. Now, Again, how is God interrupting your life? What's God doing? What's God saying? How's God leading? Times, you see. The times of separation, even if you are quarantined this morning. Times of preparation. Ready for what God's about to do next. God's about to do something next in this centurion's life. He informs him now, you're up to verse 6, that he, this one we know as Simon Peter, he's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house, you see, is by the sea. Now, check out the map if you have the opportunity to, of being able to see the Mediterranean shoreline, and you will see the movements northward, southward, that are going to need, <coughs> excuse me, to take place in order for all this to occur. And so, what we find is that preparations now are being made to send those individuals representing Cornelius, southward to the setting known as Joppa. Joppa. Well, the angel who spoke to him had departed. So what does he do? He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, they're going to have to communicate the information this, this man has gained. He sent them to Joppa. And if you have the opportunity, look at the harbor of Joppa, ponder the strategic setting that now Peter is in. I've been there. Walk the streets of Joppa, as mentioned last week. 
saw the harbor itself, the setting, in fact, where Peter most likely lodged, and did so pondering the ways in which God goes about interrupting lives. Simultaneously, everything is synchronized. God is interrupting the life of Cornelius while interrupting the life of Simon Peter. Everything timing-wise is in sync. What we need to understand is that even in this global outbreak, God is sovereign. The coronavirus is not. Ponder, first of all, the interruption of routines that God is producing, that God is providing for you and for me in verse 1 through 8. Don't waste the time. Invest the time. Take opportunity to connect electronically, various means of social media, to be able to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are going to be wondering, what's the purpose of this? What's the value of this? How do I understand this? I was thinking about that, looking at the various plagues in history throughout the course of time, one of which took place, interestingly enough, not only the Roman Empire in general, but towns in Italy in particular. The year was A.D. 251. Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, would put it like this. How suitable, how necessary it is that this plague and pestilence, which seems horrible and deadly, searches out the justice of each and every one and examines the mind of the human race. Whether the healthy care for the sick, whether relatives dutifully love kinsmen as they should, whether physicians do not desert the afflicted. In other words, he said, the plagues search us out. Ultimately, God searches us out. And he utilizes various means to search us out so that we in turn search him out. Are you doing that this morning? Because what I want to be able to say is not only that as God works to advance the gospel among people, you and I are able to spot the interruptions of the routines that God produces, God provides in life. But second of all, God works to advance the gospel among people. Note with me the preparations of messengers like you, like me, that present the gospel to others. The preparation of messengers that God uses in life. Synchronize the watches now. Not only is God working in Caesarea in the heart of Cornelius. Simultaneously, God is working in Joppa in the heart of Simon Peter. You're up to verse 9. The next day, see how time conscious this is? The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray again. Do you see the timing of the events? And he became hungry. 
Now the sixth hour of the day is around noon. So just as God broke into the religious routines of Cornelius at three in the afternoon, simultaneously, God breaks into the noon hour mealtime preparations that were occurring right now in the mindset, at least, of Simon Peter. Simon's hungry. So God's going to utilize his hunger. How's God going to go about doing that? In verse 10, he became hungry, wanted something, something to eat. What's God going to offer him? Something kosher? While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. What I want you to see here is that just as in Acts chapter 9, there is what I will call a double vision, two visions. Saul of Tarsus, as well as Ananias. So in chapter 10, two visions, double vision. Cornelius, Simon Peter, double vision. They need some ophthalmologists, don't you think? Became hungry, wanted something to eat. While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending. It's coming down. Remember how Peter would have pondered the veil being rent in two from top to bottom? So he would visualize that this is the work of God, God working downward towards humanity, not vice versa. Notice the sheet is now moving downward. The heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. At this point, visually, just simply think north, south, east, west. God is, in essence, making a visual statement globally. Peter, be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 46, verse 1. What's he going to do? In it were all kinds of animals, you and I are told in verse 12. He's now he's hungry. And look what's on the menu here in Joppa. Reptiles. Birds of the air and the likes, all kinds of animals, you were told in verse 12. And there came a voice, a voice to him. Now God is now operating both verbally as well as visually, visually as well as verbally. Now the voice comes and says, rise, Peter. Kill and eat. Now notice with me in this vision that now Peter's name is mentioned. Cornelius' name was mentioned. Prior to that in chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus' name was mentioned. Ananias' name was mentioned. In other words, God is speaking personally. It's God speaking personally through his word to you this morning. Peter, rise, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, Oh, this is so, Peter. By no means, Lord. You ever try to pull that one off? By no means, Lord. 
You ever try to say no to the Lord? Graham Scroggy, remember the story? Describes a situation where after he had been expositing God's word, the end of a worship service, he was walking to the back and he heard a young woman saying, No, Lord. No, Lord. No, Lord. Dr. Scroggy, in Great Britain, very wise, extraordinarily gifted pastor, paused as he stood there talking with her and he said, in a sentence, you can say no. And in another sentence, you can say Lord. But you cannot in the same sentence say no Lord. He is either Lord or is not Lord. She was so taken aback. He walked away, but minutes later he came back and heard her saying, Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Is there something that you've been saying no to? In relationship to your God, where now you need to be saying yes to your Lord? Well, Peter, who has shown tendencies of this, because he, upon hearing that Jesus Christ intended to go to the cross, used a similar approach with Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. Still showing his ways, still showing his nature. Once again, you find this but Peter statement here in verse 14. God has spoken, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, but now he's going to have to readjust the whole mindset of who is Lord of his life. He now uses his religious traditions, his religious customs as an argument. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Don't allow for your religious traditions to get in the way of what it is that God wants to do in you, with you, through you, for you. Notice here at this point, Peter has not understood that at the cross of Jesus Christ, an expiration date has been established for the ceremonial law that God had proclaimed. The gifted professor, Dr. Walter Kaiser, in his volume on the promised plan of God, talks about the fact that Scripture informs us that we're not to be viewing cleanness as cleanliness. Simply put, Walt Kaiser tells us, quote, Cleanness meant that the worshiper was qualified to meet Yahweh. Unclean signified that the person lacked the necessary qualifications to come before the Lord. The doctrine was closely aligned with the teaching of holiness. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Similarly, holiness in its positive aspect was a wholeness a life entirely dedicated to God and set apart for his use. So now, what God is doing is synchronizing two lives, one Jewish, one Gentile. 
so that they will become one people of God, sharing in common Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Lord. So what does God have to do with Peter? Well, he's going to have to address him a second time. And there you see it now in verse 15. Voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. Uh, folks, does this sound familiar? Simon Peter, do you love me? There was a threefold aspect to that question, wasn't there? Evidently, Peter had to deal with the fact that there was a pattern to the way in which God had to address his heart, his life. Because in verse 16, this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven, came down from heaven, taken up from heaven. It's reading about an army captain who after a battle was discussing the events of the day with his officers. And he asked them which soldier in their opinion had been the most outstanding and some of them mentioned about a particular individual who had fought with bravery. Others had suggested one fighting man and then another. But the captain said, no, you're all mistaken. The best man in the field today was a soldier who had lifted his arm to strike an enemy. But when he heard the trumpeter sound retreat, he dropped his arm without striking the blow. That response to the general's command was the noblest thing done today. If you feel like this time period of isolation has been in essence a retreat, understand that in obedience, we don't merely retreat from life. We re-engage for life. But we wait for the commander's orders in order to re-engage. Again, to put it another way, times of isolation are meant to be times of preparation. God shuts us in, not to hurt us, but to help us, you see. You and I were pondering the significance of what's occurring here. We're thinking about what God is saying here. We're up now to the third aspect of the way in which God guides lives. And we have to understand part and parcel that has to do with the advancement of the gospel. Because thirdly, as God works to advance the gospel among people, we've noted, number one, the interruption of routines that God produces in 1 through 8. Number two, the preparation of messengers that God uses in 9 through 16. But now thirdly, the intersection of lives that God creates in 17 through 23. Bear in mind now, Jews do not want to have anything to do with those who are of the occupiers of the territory of Israel. And yet now, God is creating Gentile 
and Jew opportunities for two to become one at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, to become one people before God. Now, noticing the timing, the usage of the wording. Now, while, circle that word while or note it on your device. It's a timing word. It's going to appear again. Watch how it unfolds. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, which is where you might be at this moment, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, he lacks clarity as of this point. Behold, that's a visual word. The men who were sent by Cornelius... Having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. If you are looking at the scenes online, again, look at Simon's house. The door. Notice also there's a gate. Means that Simon the Tanner, Simon the Tanner was a man of means. There was some wealth there. He had produced a sense of security around him. So Simon the tanner is hosting Simon Peter the apostle. Simon the tanner, the man who was involved in the tanning business, which meant that he was involved with the hides of animals, which would have meant social distancing from the Jewish people. There's Simon Peter in his home. It's God doing. Reaching a point where social distancing was no longer being needed. God was preparing Simon Peter that it would be in Simon the Tanner's house where these men appear at the gate. Now, these men at the gate, they know, they know the Jewish mindset of the separation of the Gentile, the Roman Gentile soldiers from the Jewish population. And so they don't come in. Instead, they call out for him. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, not one, not two, three men. There wasn't just one nor two, but three visions. Peter's got to figure out, in his estimation, the way that God guides his life, he needs to take into account the patterns that God uses within his life. What are the patterns that you've detected in your life experience, the way God works? Three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. God is sending Gentiles to this Jewish apostle. Go into the world. It's going to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. But now the uttermost parts are coming to, coming to Simon Peter. 
Notice how globalization today through technology and transportation is allowing for lives to intersect in ways you nor I could have ever envisioned. Notice here this third aspect of God's guidance, the intersection of lives that God creates. Even when it comes to social media, you have the opportunity to communicate. There is this intersection of life never seen before where geographical distancing is being eliminated, but the communication of the gospel is going forth. Are you part of that? God's guiding. Rise. Go down. Accompany them without hesitation. I have sent them. And so Peter, he went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Notice they're, they're reading the resume, so to speak, so that this grabs the attention of this devout Jew. Peter was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house. You can almost hear Peter's heartbeat at this point. Haven't I been dealing with the same issue? Is this a synchronization occurring here? God working simultaneously in the heart of a Gentile as well as a Jew? Synchronization? A holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say? In other words, God chose not to utilize an angel for the sharing of the gospel. God has chosen to use Simon Peter for the sharing of the gospel, and so it is for you, so it is for me. And here then, a nod of the head, tip of the cap to Simon Peter. He invited them in, no social distancing here, to be his guests. You know, it was in Joppa where centuries before, a man by the name of Jonah attempted to flee God's will, attempting social distancing from God. But you can't run from God's will. Eventually, Jonah had to return to God's will. You need to make the adjustments necessary to be able to do what is necessary to live for God. So maybe you're wondering this morning, why am I going through what I'm going through? But now you're pondering the interruptions of life. You're reevaluating awareness is an opportunity for the pre preparation of your life. And now you're pondering furthermore the intersection of lives that are occurring, maybe even through social media. And now you're wondering, how is God going to use this? Another man who had experienced isolation at one point in his life was John Clough. In 1864, Clough had offered to go to India as a civil engineer to be used on the mission field. But he was denied opportunity by a mission board. He went on his own. And so all he did was his work of civil engineering, hoping to be used by God eventually in a land that he believed he had been called to. Thirteen years later, it became apparent why God had called him. 
During a great famine of 1876-1877, it was his civil engineering degree that won him the appointment to supervise the digging of the unfinished Buckingham Canal, enabling him to hire thousands of starving people, securing them wages so they could buy food, and as a result, simultaneously offered them scriptures and shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And out of the severe challenges that were being experienced environmentally, physically, the gospel was going forth effectively. For you see, you and I need to understand that God has placed us in this time, in this setting, maybe in your own isolation, for such a time as this. Times of isolation should be used and viewed as times of preparation. Get prepared. God's about to do something. Are you ready? Join with me as we stand and we ask God to use this. Your words, Lord, for such a time as this, Acts 10, Peter had to be making himself available. May each one now that's been pondering these words make himself, herself available. Maybe there's been interruptions now to life, their work, their health, the rhythms of everyday experience. But in the interruptions, Father, there's preparations for life. Show us how to live for you. And we live for you, we live well. And help us, Father, now to understand the intersections of life. You might be preparing us today for what we will be experiencing relationally tomorrow. May we use your word now to make a difference in other people's lives. And we'll give you, Father, all the praise. All the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Amen.